sitting in this school pickup line has me feeling hangry. Here, take a hit of this delicious chronic. Jay, not here. I mean, bite. Take a bite. Mmm. This sub is fire. I'm going to have to confiscate this contraband. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Chiba Hut. Chiba Hut's toasted subs have been curing munchies since 1998. This cannabis-themed sub shop brings all the high fives and good vibes. Combining homegrown food, real people in a relaxed environment. Chiba Hut is the perfect spot for students, faculty, and parents to cop some dank food and drinks. Chiba Hut will be holding back-to-school parties throughout the end of August and September. So check out your local shop. I am Sunny D. And I'm Captain J. And, and we're, we're the, the Pot Smoking Moms. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, if you're a fan, if you like us, if you think we're cool, please rate, subscribe, share, be friends with us on all social medias. Potsmokingmoms.com is our website. We just sprucing things up a bit over there. And make sure you're following us on all social medias. Uh, my our, our TikTok, my TikTok is... We have two separate TikToks for those of you who don't know. We yeah, have pot like smoking a main one, which is yours. We have pot smoking <laughs> mom because pot smoking moms they you know we, we got banned. And then Captain J has hers. Pot smoking mom J. Do I, I don't even remember if that one. Well, you have an before. Instagram too, so we suggest if you're not if you're not following both of us, we're just using it as like a backup. backup. So follow Captain J on Instagram. And when we're trying to go live or something, when we're separate, you know, we have to. Right. We want to do we want to get Captain J's TikTok up to a thousand so we can go live live there. Even though I don't know, man, things are kind of sketch over there, even though I got two videos that that popping off. (laughs) And I was just like, yeah, whatever. You know, sometimes when your videos pop off too hard. It could be like you can get a wrong mix of people up in there. Yeah, you get the wrong people on the wrong side of TikTok. Like they don't belong there. Yeah, but so far we have I have a TikTok about stoner videos because we we'd like to have like a stoner movie night. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would like to have a stoner movie night out here in Miami. Um, we can have a virtual one too. Yeah, that would be fun. Uh, but we're getting a lot of suggestions. I well, the thing is, is people are like their suggestions are. Movies they like to watch while they're right, not like uh, not movies in the genre themed, right? In the genre of cannabis, yeah. Uh, But let us know what your favorite uh, stoner movie movie is, and follow our TikTok. I voted for Half Baked. It's like Uh, a classic. I love Half Baked. Uh, Friday's a good one. That's the other one I voted Uh, for too. (laughs) The Big Lebowski is one of my favorites, but there's so many of them. And, and and Smiley Face, we've got a lot. It's so many of them. So many stoner movies we love. Let us know which one is your favorite one. And maybe we'll include that one in the uh, stoner movie night that we have coming up. We'll let you know when we have that planned. 
In the meantime, we got a little smoke sesh. If yeah, you got something at home, smoke the smoke. Get your stuff together. We're about to smoke it up. Our smoke sesh is sponsored by Fluent Cannabis. Hey, go to our website, potsmokingmoms.com, and click our Fluent Partner link to receive rewards. Uh, what do you got smoking on? Uh, for sm- what do you got there smoking there today, Jane? What is smoking on? I know. It's <laughs> like okay. uh, my dyslexia is kicking in today. I have some cookie dough ice cream. I love Ooh, I, these sweet delicious. ones are always good. So it's a sweet treat balanced hybrid cross from Mendo Cookies and Gelato number 33. This GSC phenotype has rich, earthy, sweet vanilla cookie aromas and flavors. Ideal for the seasoned consumer. Yeah, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) FTH cookie dough ice cream produces a quick onset of heavy results, including sedated euphoria. In addition, FTH cookie dough ice cream uh, users note benefits in relieving the symptoms associated with appetite loss. That's not good. <laughs> I'm going to start getting the munchies later. Uh, chronic pain, stress, uh, major terms. Um, Caryophylline. Oh, here you go. Caryophylline, Ky- limonene, and humaline. I'm doing a little different today. I got a little dash pen here uh, from Fluent. It's uh, called Miami Vibes. It's a sativa strain originating from Mango Super Silver Haze. Find yourself in the balance of a palm-lined paradise <laughs> and neon lights with this trippy and energizing sativa. Best paired with warm waves. She's trying to, trying to smoke. I still got to discuss <laughs> a, what my cartridge is about. Best paired with warm waves and a sunny day. You can indulge in its rich, spicy, mango-induced flavor throughout the day or night. Miami Vibes is decoed out with psychoactive and physical effects. (laughs) Decoed out. Can help lounge out any mental or physical stresses. Patients say it washes up warmly from ailments like fatigue, mood disorders, nausea, and migraines. Major terpenes, terpinoline, and farnesine. And this is pretty tasty, actually. Citrusy, herbal, and mango flavors. So, cheers. cheers. (laughs) Cheers. Smack it. I've been smoking this all day, and and um, I wouldn't say it's really giving me that much munchies. No, <coughs> you know what? <coughs> I love that Buddha's hand from Fluent. That strained Buddha's hand, that Freedom Town Holdings man. That shit is beautiful. Beautiful. You know what else is beautiful? Our our interview. We got a wonderful interview today. Uh, one of our favorites so far. Yeah, this was a really fun interview. And, and I'm also a big fan of his show. Of yeah, show. we're big, big fans of uh, Great Moments in Weed History. Uh, I was a fan of Bong Appetit is where I first uh, saw, well, uh, Be- uh, Abdullah. Abdullah, yeah. Uh, and Bean was a producer Bean on was the in show. The back, yeah, Bean was in the back uh, behind the scenes of producer you said yeah producer sweet it was a great show uh please stay tuned for our interview with david beaninstock he's author of how to smoke pot properly a highbrow guide to getting hide hi 
and co-creator of the podcast great moments in weed history with abdullah and bean yeah you gotta stick around for that that was yeah listen to the interview interview. it's lots of fun uh their podcast is highly enjoy enjoyable (laughs) pun intended Mm -hmm. they love puns on that show bean loves his puns (laughs) uh lots of fun so please actually it's so funny when i i I got it i had his book out on the table once we were uh, booking his interview trying to get him on the show my husband's like oh what's wrong you forgot how to do it and i'm like dude we got the author on our show and he's like what oh and when he saw the the picture that it looks like yeah it says how to how to smoke pot properly he's like are you doubting yourself i'm like no no i'm gonna have him on the show (laughs) so please stick around for that hey if you are listening to us and you're thinking god i would love to see those beautiful faces See our episodes uh, on all of our interviews and video episodes by becoming a patron. Yeah, you can um, contribute to the show and you get, like she said, video versions, uncut versions of interviews. But if you can't contribute, that's fine. Uh, You know, you can help us out by giving us a rate, a review or subscribe. Make sure you're following us on your uh, social media platforms and your streaming platform that you listen to us and just share our content. And that is extremely helpful as we are not being pushed out to our peoples where we're shadow banned as all, as all cannabis content creators. Yeah, cannabis content is hard to get out there. We're not even using hashtags really as no. very much. So, And if, if we do use hashtags, just none cannabis related. Uh, we got, I got, uh, I don't know. I didn't really, I don't have much. We're just working on the bud crawl. That's really the only thing I'm, I've got, uh, going on. Yeah. We've been working on getting that going. Yeah. And it's going, it's going. I mean, I, it's coming. It's coming. November 12th. PSMBudcrawl.com. Uh, we'll be selling tickets, uh, starting second week of September. Uh, but yo, we're going to get a uh, karaoke. We're going to get a party bus. We're going to do karaoke. We're going to do trivia, give games, uh, have some munchies and stop at all of our favorite dispensaries. So go it's to gonna P- be a good time. Yeah. Out with us. I know, man. <laughs> and singing along to all of our songs. They started working on our, uh, on playlist. our playlist. Got some sublime already. Some Cypress Hill. Ooh. When they put a ticket, we should put a. Oh, like for them to suggest a song. song. Yes. Good idea. Yeah. Suggest a song for the karaoke. Absolutely. I've been just been really like we had we were on live on Instagram and we got a bunch of really great suggestions from everyone. And then my whole thing is, is like it has to be a song that if someone doesn't want to sing it, like we both one of us can pick it up. and like That'll be you most of the time. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Anything from Greece is going to you. <laughs> Anything from the Greece soundtrack, you're singing. I did love Greece growing up. Speaking of uh, things watching growing up, have you seen the new A League of Their Own? No, man. It looks really good, though. It is really good. I, I watched it all already, and it was How many really episodes good. is there? Was it eight or ten? Something like that? I'm not sure. How long remember. are they? An hour? I don't know. They're, they were... What really streaming good. service? Amazon. Amazon Prime. Okay. Oh man, Amazon. I'm know, always like, I want to always cut that plug. I, I always want to cut that for the for the betterment of mankind. But it was it was really good. It was really enjoyable. Um, it was way more, it, uh, I guess, accurate to <laughs> what was so, happening in the sense time. that uh, it was talking about how many of the women were gay, you know, and they were coming to terms with 
that like one of the main characters is married um but she's been having issues in her marriage because you know she's gay and she's been fighting the fact that that's who she is right. her whole life and then she goes to play baseball and the original lady that was actually the movie's about said that when they when she went there she didn't even know there were other women that like were like her that oh. felt that way and like meeting other women like her that liked baseball and were also gay she was like wow i well, didn't know I this mean, was possible yeah you see how we even us within our own community there's been so many people who have been like hey i'm so glad you exist because i kind of you know it validates my existence mm -hmm. i'm like you guys mm -hmm. so you know to you and me we had each other we were like oh, everybody has smoke friends yeah it's just your friends that right you but <laughs> some people don't you know that. don't have that and you know we are here for you. We, we uh, are here to be that for you. Yeah, we've <laughs> uh, the community is amazing. I'm, we're so happy to be a part of this, and so so glad that everybody's who's involved. Yeah, and then I have one more show to suggest is Echoes on Netflix. Echoes. What is that about? Okay, so it's like a mystery in the sense where this this lady I don't know the actress's name. I'm the worst at that stuff, but she's a twin, like an identical twin, and her uh -huh. sister goes missing. So she goes back home to try to figure out what happened to her sister. But it turns out to be a lot more than that because apparently her and her sister, who are identical, like nobody can tell them apart, uh -huh. would switch places once a year, every year on their birthday. And they like shared each is other's this lives. The, is it who is the actress in this? I, I just told you I'm, I'm like the worst of actresses. Is it remember. the lady from Orphan Black? No, no. She's on Hulk. She Hulk. Oh, she's on She Hulk. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But this is like, like, first of all, that's fucking crazy. Fuck. Yeah, up. that's pretty wild to be an identical twin and be switching every year. Like they're both married and they were switching while they were married. Yes. What? So they were basically each living two lives. That's fun, though. I mean, if they could pull that off and shit. then one of them had a baby. So one of them's a mother. So would they could be OK? And you seen how much of the show have you seen all of it? All of it. Check it's it out. One episode, one season. Yeah, it's a limited series too. I don't do they complain to each other about the shit in each other's lives that they like have to? I don't want to give too okay, much right, away. Right, right, you right. should check it out. It's pretty suspenseful. Because I'd be like, and crazy because it it's bananas. That's that show's funny. bananas. That's cool. I like that. <laughs> I finished watching Atlanta. Have oh you... yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to watch the new dude. It's like Atlanta. pretty wild. It still, it still continues the kind of the kind of the crazy chaos, the wackiness, the, the wackiness. Where it's like the last season. A, a, there's a couple. Some episodes aren't even really part of the same storyline, but they're oh my god, award winning, yes. award winning. So start keep watch Atlanta again. Finish it. It's know, easy. It, it'll be I'm, easy to finish it. I promise you. I'm going to be like, oh, I need to watch the whole thing over again because that's how crazy I am. I promise you. <laughs> you won't regret it. <laughs> but hey, we got a lot of, well, we got some general news. We got some local news <laughs> that I don't even want to talk about. But in the meantime. News Nugs, where we get high and read the news to you. All right. Qualitative. 
You got it, girl. <laughs> We're practicing that word a couple times. You got it. Knock it right out of the park. study reveals medical students' attitudes toward medical pots. Mm, All right. This is interesting because these are going to be the next generation of doctors, medical students. So a new study examines medical students' perceptions of medical cannabis, including its efficacy, appropriateness in medicine, possible adverse effects, and patient value. With a hefty decades-long industry in the U.S., and increasing uses for a wide array of medical conditions. Medical cannabis is commonly used for symptom management in America and countries around the world. Like it or not, medical camp- ca- cannabis is now part of the contemporary world of medicine. Despite this, physicians still receive little training around cannabis in medical school and often rely mostly on anecdotal evidence. By proxy, medical students don't generally receive formal education around recommending medical cannabis or managing its use. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine since it's not federally legal, they don't even have access uh, to it uh, enough to be able to be doing research, enough research on it. But if you're a doctor getting educated in a state where it's medicinally legal, you would think they would start having in med school at least a general education on what they do know about cannabis what they have learned yeah, about the ECS, because what right. the ECS is you know what what studies have there been you know whatever they teach in these certifications where doctors can give recommendations should just be taught in med school generally all the time yeah no I agree i mean it's been around forever we should have some sort of information that we can like teach these yeah now, a new qualitative study from Kieran C. Patel College of Osteopathic Medicine, medical students' attitudes, knowledge, and beliefs about medical cannabis, a qualitative descriptive study, aims to take a closer look at medical students' perceptions of medical cannabis, including its efficacy, appropriateness in medicine, possible adverse effects, and patient value. The qualitative study sought to answer the question, what do medical students know and think about medical cannabis? Researchers specifically aim to conduct in-depth focus group discussions with osteopathic medical students to identify their attitudes, knowledge, and beliefs around medical cannabis and to analyze the data from these conversations to identify emerging themes to guide new medical education curriculum strategies. Whoa. Regardless of the prevalence of medical cannabis in medicine today, the study's introduction notes that physicians know little about the therapeutic properties of medical weed i.e. what health conditions medical cannabis is effective in treating, and less about recommending it. For example, discussing adverse effects and proper dosage. Researchers say this may be due to the lack of formal education physicians receive in med school. What we do know, however, is that physicians tend to rely on a combination of unreliable sources to obtain information, most of which are anecdotal reports researchers write. Because of this enduring stigma, researchers say that medical cannabis is generally discussed in school during lectures on other Schedule One drugs and may only include its harmful effects as a street drug, with administrators feeling uncomfortable integrating the therapeutic uses of cannabis into school curriculum. I mean, it's... What? (laughs) I mean, it's like proven that we have... An ECS system in our bodies. How is that not like part of, okay, there has to be, that has to be somewhere in the curriculum, at least that when they're talking about receptors in the body. I just listened to an episode of smoking science where they talked about all this receptor thing and there has to be something covering it. 
All study sessions were held in July in June 2022 among students who had just completed their first, second, or third year of school. The study utilized a semi-structured interview guide created by researchers with Zoom interviews among eight focus groups and a total of 83 medical students. Each group lasted between 60 to 75 minutes, guided by the following content areas, beliefs about cannabis, therapeutic utility, perceived knowledge about medical cannabis, the role of the physician regarding medical cannabis, concern for adverse effects, and desire for education around medical cannabis in school. The four themes that emerged from the interviews included erroneous beliefs around medical cannabis, unreliable sources of information, mixed attitudes towards legalization, and desire for medical cannabis education in school. Hmm. Overall, participants reported what they believed were potential therapeutic uses of medical cannabis, including cancer care, AIDS care, chronic disease management, pain management, digestive issue, appetite stimulation, help with nausea, Parkinson's disease, anxiety and depression, glaucoma, PTSD, sleep disorders, and multiple sclerosis. Pretty much all the uh, everything that qualifies you to get a card here in the state of Florida. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some agreed that medical cannabis may have a viable role in medicine, though there were also concerns around the potential harmful effects. Many also believed cannabis was highly addictive, either uh, physiolo- f- physiologically mm-hmm. or... No. Yeah, physiologically or psychologically. Or psychologically. Uh, Several participants also said that patients are not capable of managing their own medical cannabis use or the patients might misuse medical cannabis by giving it away or selling it to others. (laughs) (laughs) Some participants said that they were comfortable with physicians recommending medical cannabis through telehealth conferencing, while others said it should be done face-to-face, with one participant noting that it opens up an opportunity for people to beat the system. Researchers also noted that participants often spoke about recreational cannabis without distinguishing it from medically prescribed cannabis, with the facilitators reminding participants in each of the eight focus groups at least twice to be mindful of the distinction. Researchers said it was unsettling how participants spoke of the dangers of medical cannabis use with unsubstantiated authority, citing that medical student concerns around medical cannabis have been reported in previous studies. Equally unsettling is the idea, according to participants, that patients are incapable of recognizing signs of their illness (laughs) and knowing their own bodies, which could be dangerous to the patient as they do not know what they need for their condition. Or they do not know what they're feeling. (laughs) Okay. Like, so you don't listen to your patients when they're saying what, like, hey, this is helping me. Well, they don't even have patients yet. These people are just students. So regarding information sources, participants reported that they got their information about medical cannabis anecdotally from social media (laughs) and from news clips only. Only two of the 83 participants reported that they researched library databases or read scientific journal articles to obtain information about medical cannabis. Participants also reported that their school didn't provide curricular-based education on medical cannabis, though it did provide information on the harmful effects of recreational cannabis. Of course. Many participants also commented that they believe there is little or no scientific research available on medical cannabis, which is why they rely on social media for information. Most of the participants agree that medical cannabis should be federally legalized and reclassified from being a Schedule One drug. Okay. 
Uh, many also shared the opinion that medical cannabis should be rigorously controlled by physicians and that no other healthcare provider like pharmacists or nurses should be able to recommend or prescribe medical cannabis. Or you can't self-certify like they're doing in D.C. <laughs> I mean, but like you, you can't blame them. They don't have the resources. Nobody's like, I mean, if it's not federally legal, the schools are not always going to be welcoming to that giving that information out to the students. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, that that's kind of the reason. Well, but, but did you see how they're all like in favor of federally legalizing it? It's like, because, oh, but they're, but, but they said medically. They had asked medically. Right. They they're still about. very conservative when it they're comes not, to. They're not that recreational. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, finally, participants discussed their exposure to me- medical cannabis in school commenting that their knowledge of medical cannabis was lacking and that they would benefit from more medical cannabis education while in school. Yes. The majority of participants felt that medical cannabis education should be integrated through the four years of undergraduate training, including medical cannabis information like therapeutic benefits, potential risks and adverse effects, medical counter contraindications, legalities and dosing recommendations. incorporated into the curriculum, namely in pharmacology and or systems courses. I think there's plenty of opportunities for us to be able to find ways to integrate MC in a number of lectures, one participant said. Professors can provide links to the citations they used. We're not being trained to become experts in MC and medical cannabis, right, is what they're saying. Yeah, it has to be medical Medical cannabis. cannabis. But we certainly should be familiar with what current literature is available. To be able to find a way to incorporate it into GI lecture, to incorporate segments of it and neurology into biochemistry, I think that's totally feasible in pharmacology course. Yeah, it should be in in their pharmacology courses. Ultimately, researchers concluded that medical cannabis seems to be a significant issue for medical trainees, especially given that they may be required to recommend it to patients or manage coexisting therapies with patients in their careers. Despite using unreliable sources for information about medical cannabis, most hell held favorable views around reclassifying cannabis as a Schedule One drug, legalizing medical pot on a federal level, and that medical cannabis education should be integrated into medical uh, school curriculum. Research studies continue to show the efficacy for medicinal use and proper dosing, as well as the potential adverse effects of MC use, rendering accurate education important for medical programs to ensure MC readiness in future physicians. The study concludes. Oh my God, it is so frustrating to think that they're still not teaching on this at all in medical school. (laughs) They're not. And you know what? Is there even like at least special courses they can take? Like, it. like yeah but not like not schools that are like government schools i mean there is there's well, courses so that you can take schools. online there's so stuff. many private medical schools like why wouldn't they offer a course specific about cannabis medicine like there might be something out there but you know i think this general i mean and then it just it goes and to it show only, you. it was only like what 80 something people they spoke to and what schools did they go to what did they mention i don't know we got to see what uh, <laughs> what sources were cited for this article. It did say 83 medical students, eight focus groups for a total of 83. 83 medical students. Their first, second, generally? or third year of school. And they're like around the United States? It doesn't say. I'm assuming it's just various schools. Maybe they put out a, a call. Yeah. 
for focus groups and as long as they were in a medical school they could be part of this study I mean, yeah they need to you know there needs to be more i would like to speak to somebody that's recently been through med school like we've had doctors on the show but they were they're doctors that they've they've been, they've been doctors for, for a while a, yeah. and now they're getting into this world um so I'd, I'd like to know what what availability there is in medicine right now to actually take courses in cannabis meds well <coughs> whoa 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 <laughs> Sorry. that cough is the official cough <laughs> of our podcast that means it's going it's to the next for. segment <laughs> I love you, Miami, but oh, yeah, not, 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 not today, right now. <laughs> not today, Miami. We're fucking pissed, bro. Okay, if you guys are a Florida patient, fans of the show, uh, last last couple, of, I know, back to school, everything's a little crazy. But a couple shows back, we talked to Michael Minardi, who's a lawyer, and we were talking about how angry we were because of the florida cap where you it's not the a rolling cap, but limit. it's rolling limit like yeah on you get flower. two point two and a half ounces two and a half ounces a month but they no, stagger it, it. not a month it's like 35 day supply right right sorry so that's why and then it, they stagger it so you can't really buy in bulk like you well, have to I, really I think it all depends on what i think how much you bought the first time when you got your full allotment in the month like if you buy it all you can't buy again until it, that same yeah day, there's a whole 35 days later until 35 days later you gotta check you, in the ommu i mean i always do that yeah now every, because every that time, way it sa saves everybody time yeah every time i have to place an order i go double check how much do i have available? how much do i have available how many how many can i buy but uh he told us, Michael Minardi had told us it's that gonna get worse it was going to get worse there. because they were going to apply the same idea to all, all routes, routes of administration. So here it is. Here it is, bitches. Milligram caps. Florida issues medical marijuana rules. On August 26, 2022, the Florida Office of Medical Marijuana Use sent a directive to certifying physicians regarding a new milligram cap scheduled to go in effect August 29th. We all received an email and all collectively screamed all yeah. around Florida. <laughs> Social okay. media, media blew up about it. Everybody's yeah, like, what we are. That F? post is going crazy. Everybody's <laughs> I saw so other, a lot of other people post oh, yeah, it yeah, too. Yeah. According to the OMMU, the Medical Marijuana Use Registry, the Department of Health shall quantify by rule a daily dose amount with equivalent dose amounts for each allowable form of marijuana dispensed by a medical marijuana treatment center. The department shall use a daily dose amount to calculate a 70-day supply. In compliance with Florida law, the Department of Health has published Emergency Rule 64ER22-8, dosing and supply limits for medical marijuana to determine daily dose amount and a 70-day supply limits for approved routes of administration of marijuana, excluding low THC cannabis. 60, so, okay, so for edibles, the daily dose amount, people are saying that. 60 milligrams edible wise per day 
is a daily dose. A daily dose. But oh, that doesn't mean that. I think you could buy your entire. What is it? 40, you don't it says like, forty. Look, the seventy do, seventy daily day supply is forty two hundred milligrams. milligrams. Yeah, you could buy it all at once, but you won't be able to buy again for another seventy, 70 days. days. Right. Uh, inhalation vaporization. It's a uh, three hundred fifty milligrams a daily dose. Uh, seventy day supply seven twenty four thousand five hundred milligrams THC. Oral capture, oral, t- uh, which is includes capture capsules and tinctures. And tinctures. It's trying to combine those two words, Caps- <laughs> captures. Two hundred milligrams of THC daily, fourteen thousand milligrams of THC sublingual, sublingual tinctures. One ninety milligrams THC. Uh, seventy day supply is thirteen thousand three hundred milligrams THC, and it goes on a couple more. Uh, you could check our post to see what the actual amounts are, yeah. but uh, everybody's fucking pissed. So it says here, what about current certification? So like your current certification, how's it going to affect you right now? The OMMU states any active physician certification issued before the effective date of August 29, 2022, that exceeds the daily dose amount defined by the rule and begins within 210 days of the effective date of the rule will be valid for the remainder of said physician certification. So it's not going to affect you until you renew that. However, should a qualified physician make any modifications to an existing certification after the effective date of the rule that would deem the certification in excess of the daily dose amount, the qualified physician uh, must submit a request for exception form. So there is a way if you are a patient that does need uh, more than what they're allowing, you can have your essentially you can have your doctor put in a request to to make the like to, to give you the amount or what. Let me see. If you have a current certification, the new rules will not apply retroactively, meaning you don't need to worry. However, if any changes made to your certification uh, following August 29th, your protection is invalidated and you immediately fall under the new rules, meaning an exception is required for any milligrams exceeding the new cap limits. How do exceptions work? Certifying physicians are allowed to submit requests for exception to the current rules. According to the OMMU, a qualified physician may request an exception to the daily dose amount for their qualified patient by electronically submitting the request for exception form in the registry. The Office of Medical Marijuana Use OMMU will approve or disapprove request for exception form within 14 calendar days. Prior to the form's approval, a qualified patient will only be authorized to obtain the daily dose amounts determined by the rule. I don't know. Let's see how it works. Because like they're like, oh, it's not... Some people were like saying it's not really changing that much. They're just stipulating a daily dose. It's still the same amount you had, but just like divided by 70. Right. It may, it may not affect everybody equally. Yeah, I uh, agree. But uh, like, for example, uh, Pawhead Mom, very good friend of the podcast. Uh, she was showing me what it was before versus what it was now. And it was a considerable difference. difference. So... um. I mean, it might affect. It might not affect that many people, but it's still like it. Do, it still sucks because it's them Why going back in and saying, "Random doses." I, I write, and and that's the thing that fucking pisses everybody off the most is like there is no scientific value determining any of these uh, um, amounts of uh, daily allotments. Like there's there's no scientific evidence backing anything. It's, literally, it's numbers being pulled out of the air, pulled out of their asses. <laughs> fucking Amy. yeah like this is just and and and, and check and out there's some people that like they have to buy an 
all of it at once because well, it's cheaper that way it's cheaper that way or they're not that close to the dispensary and they you know it might be a little out of the way for them to go or they don't want to i don't know like there's different reasons but it's just dumb this is just dumb 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 yeah it's just i'm putting put, <sighs> putting more uh putting more obstacles in the way Florida of cannabis let me tell you I don't even know how we managed to even get it in the first place. <laughs> right. It's when it, when we people voted for it. When we it's voted, people for voted for it. And then they were like, okay, fine. Like, we voted for it. They have to make it legal. But they're like, no, but you can't smoke it. No smoking. And then that had to be fought for and then done. Which actually, this is ironically, Governor Ron DeSantis yeah. pushed that through. And now he's very anti-cannabis it's strange. well he's always said not on my watch when it comes to cannabis but he pushed and... through the smokable cannabis when he first came into office well that li- actually our next story <laughs> yeah right desantis wants pot companies to pay more to do business in florida so as florida medical marijuana companies continue to rake in cash governor ron desantis this week said cannabis operators need to pay more for the opportunity to do business in the state the state should charge these people more desantis told reporters tuesday i mean these are very valuable licenses the governor said i would charge them an arm and a leg i mean everybody wants these licenses oh my god (laughs) what a douchebag I mean, we got to charge him and him and let everybody wants him. That's going to be passed to the consumer. It was unclear if DeSantis was referring to medical marijuana companies already operating in the state of, uh, or businesses seeking to gain entry to Florida, which insiders say have the potential to be one of the nation's most robust cannabis markets. While DeSantis wants to extract more money from the businesses, the governor helped steer big bucks their way as one of the, the his first legislative pushes after taking office in January 2019, as See? Captain Jade just previously mentioned. The Santis <laughs> urged lawmakers to repeal prohibition against smokable marijuana, which the Republican-controlled legislature had outlawed after voters in 2016 passed a constitutional amendment broadly legalizing medical marijuana. Oh. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Sigh. <laughs> uh. Right after. Are you? Is that your, how frustrated you are? Yeah. You're like these fucking people like, keep giving us more rolls. We'll this buy fucking one. guy, bro. I just can't with this guy. Satan. It's just like he did that one good thing. I remember when he, he first got elected. I wasn't. Yeah, happy, we were all right? like, oh, and, and I was and like, like, this oh? fucking guy. And then like he did this, and I was like, oh, okay, like maybe he's not so bad. Right. And then it was like, oh, no, he's really, really oh, yeah. bad. Uh-huh. The veil was lifted. And then it was lifted once more. Okay, so uh, the legislator, <laughs> legislature quickly went along with DeSantis' request, and whole flower products are now by far the most popular items sold at the more than 460 medical marijuana dispensaries throughout the state. DeSantis' comments this week coincided with MedMen Enterprises, Inc. announcement that it had closed a $67 million deal selling its Florida operations to Green Century Holdings, LLC. Mm. With nearly 800,000 approved medical marijuana patients among a population of more than 22 million Florida residents, investors are anxiously awaiting the chance to plant stakes in the state. It's like 750,000 around there. 
The DeSantis administration, however, has dragged its feet on complying with the state law, requiring the Department of Health to effectively double the number of players in the industry, which now has 22 licensed operators. Another fucking another why? fucking game. Like, why is there a limit on licenses? Exactly. Just let the licenses be like yeah. available. Otra and if you qualify, you qualify. Exactly. Yeah. Otra matraquilla. Another hoop to jump through because they don't want to control everything. Governor's office has blamed the delay on litigation over a 2017 law, but a Florida Supreme Court decision upholding the statute was finalized last year. 2017 law created a framework for the medical marijuana industry and set up a schedule for new licenses to come online as the number of authorized patients increases. Under the law, state health officials should have issued at least another 22 licenses to keep up with the population of patients. Huh. Hmm. So we should be having at least 22 more licenses out there? That's crazy. So medical marijuana companies doing business in Florida were part of an initial group of applicants in 2015 who each paid a little more than 60000 for a shot of being able to sell low THC cannabis. Those applications came after lawmakers in 2014 allowed low THC products for certain patients. The 2016 constitutional amendment went far beyond the 2014 law. Nearly all the operators who were allowed to add medical marijuana with unkept levels uncapped levels of THC to their product lines after the amendment passed have changed hands since the licenses initially were granted. Companies also pay 60000 every two years to renew their licenses, which have routinely, routinely traded for upwards of $40 million. Wow. Dang. So they renew every two years at 60000 and they can trade it for up to $40 million. Why wouldn't we take the opportunity to make money for the state based off those, DeSantis said Tuesday. But I do think that that would require statutory change by the legislature. I don't think that's something we could just do through administrative rule. Florida law requires legislative approval of rules if regulatory costs for all the businesses that participate in the program exceed 200000 in one year or $1 million over five years. The governor pointed to the part of the 2017 law that limits how much the Department of Health can charge companies for licenses and renewals. The law only allows the state to charge fees to cover the cost of administering the medical marijuana program, as well as a research program and a public health campaign. The law also gave health officials the ability to establish supplemental licensure. <laughs> supplemental licensure. How do you even fucking say licensure? <laughs> licensure. Licensure. Licensure fees. <clears throat> to help cover the costs of the program, but the health department has never authorized such fees. Crazy. <laughs> Why are you <laughs> I said, I guess it's the cookie dough, bro. You it's got the cookie, cookie dough, dough ice cream. Word. <laughs> Raising application and renewal fees would be unfortunate. Brady Cobb, a lawyer who was the founder and CEO of Green Century, said in the phone interview this week. Uh, if it happens, it happens, said Cobb, adding the state. <laughs> oh, my God. Can I drive to Florida right now and get some of the gookie dough shit? What? <laughs> I don't know. I think this is a reaction to how annoyed I with this story. Oh, I get it. That's I a, you're so annoyed that you're just like laughing the whole time okay if it happens it happens said Cobb adding the state could make more money by taxing marijuana products or allowing operators to (laughs) 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 (laughs)
Should I send emergency? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I'm crying. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not. I don't know what the part is the funniest part, but. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you Have you had a nap today? I'm exhausted. Um, okay. That's probably why. And we have, and we're going somewhere after this, so chop chop. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> My face hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Although DeSantis contends the state isn't charging enough for licenses, Florida's licensure licensure <laughs> and renewal rates already eclipse those in most other states. So, so we're already higher, higher price compared to other states. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Florida. Never mind. What about realty? And yeah. But that's because of the way the state's medical marijuana industry is structured, according to Sally Kent Peoples. Jacksonville-based partner at the National Cannabis Law Firm, Vicente Sederberg, LLP. Florida licenses are considered the most valuable licenses in the world. Whoa. People's told the news service of Florida in an interview this week. Their worth is based in part on the state's licensing system, which requires operators to cultivate, process, and sell marijuana and, and derivative products without limiting the number of retail locations the company can run. Vertical integration. We notice. <laughs> Most states have much lower fees to get a license, but Florida is much more unique than any other state because we're the only state that only one license allows you to have unlimited ability to open as many facility locations as you want, Peebles said. Peebles also said most marijuana businesses don't net as much money as people believe. The IRS prohibits the companies from taking tax deductions except for those relating to the cost of goods sold. That means the companies are being taxed on ghost income at rates of 85% or higher, said Peoples, who has represented hundreds of medical marijuana clients in a variety of states. So the idea that these companies are making millions and millions of dollars and are sitting back twiddling their thumbs like laughing at everybody while raking the dough in is just not the case, she said. Hmm. Potential as a lawyer of these companies. Uh-huh. <laughs> We know lawyers tell the truth all the time. <laughs> Potential applicants for the next batch of licenses hopes Florida voters will approve a proposed constitutional amendment in 2024 that would legalize recreational use of marijuana. The initiative was launched earlier this month. I don't think the application fee is going to deter people. Peebles predicted. So, you, so, yeah, so this must be what Nikki Fried was talking about when she said he wants to raise he wants the taxes. To tax. He wants to tax. Right, because we didn't know, like, are they adding taxes to it? Or is she using the slang word tax by, like, meaning whatever taxes tax. they, they are required to pay to the state has already worked into the price that we see. So we don't ever see what that price is, what that amount is. We get the total. Yeah. <sighs> Interesting. Let's see what happens with that. Let's make it even more expensive to do licenses here in Florida. 
Yeah, if you think uh, paying $60 for an eighth of cookies is a lot. Yeah, it's $60 an eighth, yeah. Wait till they start charging more. <laughs> not necessarily. I don't know. I, he's just talking. This isn't really like he's not saying he's going to do it, but he's just like saying, hey, hey guys. We should. Hey, yeah. guys. Everybody wants to come here and smoke weed and everybody wants <laughs> to sell it. Why don't we like he's so even just him saying that is so fucking shady. Hey guys, thanks so much for uh, sticking with us so far. This interview is perhaps one of our favorites. David Beaninstock, he's the author of How to Smoke Pop Properly, A Highbrow Guide to Getting High. He's also co-creator of the podcast Great Moments in Weed History with Abdullah and Bean. Previously, he served as head of content at High Times and was a frequent contributor and video host and producer at Vice Media, where he co-produced the series Bong Appetit including viral episodes like a gourmet weed dinner at Hunter S. Thompson's house and Marijuana Nona. A contributor to Vice, Leafly, GQ, The Guardian, and other publications, he has been profiled by The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, The Los Angeles Times, Rolling Stone, LA Weekly, Slate, and elsewhere. And the Potswoggy Moms. While making (laughs) frequent media appearances, including on CNN, NPR, MSNBC, HBO, and Fox News. We really hope you enjoy this interview as much as we did. Here it is. This book has been amazing. Like it's, it's got, it's not just how to smoke pot properly. You basically go through cannabis history down to genetics of, 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 cannabis, growing cannabis, edibles, different ways to do it, even how to host a dinner, uh, dinner party with it. How is this basically a culmination of all the years that you've been in this industry and everything you've learned? Yeah, I would say, you know, how to smoke pot properly is a bit of a, you know, tongue in cheek uh, joke as, as long as uh, smoke is going in and coming out and you're not coughing too much and you get high. You're definitely doing it right. Uh, But I I just wanted to write something that would reflect, uh, you know, all the experiences I had as a cannabis reporter, all the people that I met, lessons I learned from them, and really try to share them with people, whether they've been, you know, smoking weed a long time or they're new to the culture, and just kind of reflect where this community is at right now, which is, uh, I think, a pretty interesting moment where... We have a lot of places where it's legal. We have places where it's still full-on prohibition. Uh, We have a tremendous understanding of the medicinal value of the plant. And we have tremendous ignorance and stigma and oppression and racism from uh, the government in certain places. And so everything is really in flux. Um, But we have never been stronger as a cannabis community and and just... uh, wanted to share what I've learned and experienced firsthand with people and encourage people to, you know, really look at this weed community as something to be proud of, something to share with others, something to, you know, uh, represent in your life in a positive way. And, uh, you know, I've gotten great feedback from the book. I really appreciate your kind words about it. And, um, you know, same thing with the podcast on great moments in weed history. We're looking back at the history of this culture and again, trying to make sure that we tell our own stories and don't allow this history to be erased or rewritten or obscured by uh, the same institutions and the same 
powers that be that have subjected us to this terrible prohibition for so long. Yeah, and I, uh, I, I really think that even if you have been smoking for a really long time, like you, there's so much to learn. There's so many parts of it that uh, we learn on a regular basis, even, you know, us. Yeah, you, you mentioned actually in the book how like not until you got your job at High Times, all you really knew about weed was basically the same thing all I knew about weed until we started this podcast, <laughs> which was like, oh, there's good weed and bad weed, like Reggie's and, and Crippy. Well, you said kind bud. We call it Crippy down here in Florida. Uh, that was my experience growing up with cannabis. But then you started working at High Times and you started really learning about the culture. How much like first, when did you start consuming cannabis and tell us your story about that and how you got into the industry? And how all that changed. Sure. Oh, it's interesting you mentioned Crippies because we, we had an episode of Great Moments in Weed History, my podcast with my partner, Abdullah Saeed, where we, we traced the history of OG Kush and, and found out that this sort of classic West Coast strain really comes from Florida and was known at one time as Crippies. So <laughs> uh, it all ties together. I, I, I started uh, smoking weed when I was a teenager it really had a profound effect on myself and on my life. Uh, and then it became a job for me uh, when, well, you know, the occasional eighth of weed here and there that I might may or may not have sold to some people, <laughs> but uh, it became a career uh, when I started working at High Times. That was in New York City. That was back when High Times was an independent publication. I don't really uh, fuck with them now, uh, <laughs> but... But back at that time, it was an incredible place to, you know, work for a publication that was dedicated to telling the truth about this plant. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, there's so much to learn and so many different aspects to it, whether you're looking at the medicinal properties, whether you're looking at the in inequalities and injustice in the criminal justice system around cannabis whether you're looking at infusing it as a food, whether you're learning how to grow it as a plant, whether you're learning about the chemistry of the plant itself or how it affects art and culture. So, you know, there's so many different aspects to this, so much to learn. And most importantly, I think just I'm fascinated by the people that I meet through this plant. And I always feel most comfortable when I'm surrounded by the culture, you know, uh, even just living in New York City for a long time before it was legal, you go to a party or an event, there's always a second party out on a fire escape up on the roof down on the street where people are getting together to smoke. And, you know, I think for everything bad about the marginalization and the stigma around this plant, it also made us a really strong culture because we were uh, pushed into the margins and we threw a party there. Yeah, for sure. We definitely set ourselves apart from all the drinkers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then that's the thing is that um, there's still a large stigma around being a cannabis consumer, especially if you're in a non-legal state. <clears throat> so it's really important that we have conversations like this. And you got into the industry and at an early part, it was not even recreationally legal anywhere yet. Um, how did your family feel about you going that route in your in your career? You know, it was like, how did they take it? 
uh well i would say you know getting caught having weed uh as a young person didn't go over so well getting a job uh with a national publication you know by that time it it, it seemed like one of the better outcomes for me uh <laughs> based on my trajectory in life so uh you know i'm i'm actually it's it's very satisfying to me i'm in a place now where my mom is you know still no matter how many times i i recommend it to her as a medicine is not uh yet made that decision but she's learned a lot about the plant she's completely uh, uh supports me and in, in, in my journalism and my work and you know has come to understand that she herself uh, was the victim of propaganda and lies about this plant and uh has come to see it in a new light. And I would just say to anybody who's listening, you know, you on the one hand, uh, you, you don't need your family's approval. Uh, if this is something that is important to you, whether medicinally, recreationally, socially, you know, you know the benefits that you're getting from the plant and you don't need anybody else to affirm that for you. That's what this wonderful community is for. On the other hand, don't ever give up on that aunt, on that uncle, on your on your family members, uh, particularly when it comes to the medicinal use of this plant. Because um, whether it's now or down the line, somebody you know among your loved ones is going to have a condition where this plant can be very very helpful for them, and you may not be able to convince them to try it but you do have a responsibility to share that information with them, even if it's in an uncomfortable conversation, even if it is not legal where they live, because and just as one example, going through chemotherapy without cannabis um, is horrible. You know, I've seen in my work uh, so many people who have benefited tremendously from this plant um, so you always, uh, if you know the truth, you, you always want to hold that door open for people and it might take a lot of conversations to change their mind. Yeah, we actually, that we have a, well, I have conservative Cuban family. So yeah, at the beginning we had started this podcast. We didn't want to be, we didn't even show our face. Yeah, we, we, we didn't want we we didn't think we needed to. And then it came a point in time where we were talking more about it. And we we're like, how can we advocate for a plan if we're not willing to even like put ourselves out there, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? And so we kind of started having the uncomfortable conversations with our family that we didn't think we'd have, you know, and because we're adults now, we're not getting caught with weed anymore. Like now you've you've seen us become responsible parents and become wonderful parents at that like now that we tell you that we you know we use weed like it shouldn't really change your opinion on us because you know that we've been thriving so it's difficult you know my mom is still kind of like judging me for it but like you know it's I rather have been open and tell you know tell her and, and let her know hey I'm having success in this field then like keep that from her, but still ha facing the backlash of all of that recording and all of that, anything, you know, any, anything, anytime hap uh, anything happens, were you stoned were you right. or, you know, <laughs> yeah. And I tried to get her to use it too. And but she you almost, did. you got her to eat a half a gummy. Yeah, so. That's using it. 
<laughs> how, how did that go? Well, I was like, I thought I, she was like, is is anything supposed to happen? I was like, mom, eat half a half a gummy, watch your Netflix. Like you have no, nothing to do. Just chill. You can right? go over that in the book, introducing somebody to cannabis for the first time. I mean, this book goes over everything. Yeah. <laughs> little by little, she didn't feel anything. I said, well, just little by little. And I don't know. I never I I had a really hard day once and I was like, I'm going to have a gummy. And she was like, you bitch, stop that shit. And I was just like, what? It's confusing. Yeah, it's really hard for people to sort of un, un, unwrap that. And, and, you know, people have been so especially, you know, older generations, there was no counter narrative. They were really pounded with this uh, propaganda, uh, every 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 lie about this plant. And even as we, you know, continue to evolve as a society, it, it, it's ingrained in people. And so I would just say, you know, um, don't push people too hard. You know, when when somebody's resistance is, is really, really up, sometimes you just got to say, OK, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it another time. And you'd be surprised how people come around. And, um, you know, I, I do want to give a shout out in in Florida to uh, somebody we did an episode of Great Moments in Weed History about. He was a uh, weed smuggler known as Black Tuna, and he ended up doing 30 years for a nonviolent smuggling charge. Uh, but when he got out, he started something called the Silver Tour, and he went from uh, retirement community to retirement community, talking to seniors, explaining the medicinal benefits, explaining uh, the lies about the plant, and, and really, I think, did a lot to help start that conversation among seniors. And now, right now, we see that while seniors are the demographic most likely to be opposed to legalization, they're also changing their minds faster than anybody else about it and using cannabis uh, at, a, at a higher rate, you know, more and more seniors every year are, are discovering particularly the medicinal uh, benefits of the plant. Because when, when you get to a certain age, um, it's good, it's good for what ails you. And that might be something relatively manageable like arthritis or just uh, chronic pain. Um, but, you know, when we compare it to the pharmaceutical drugs that are so often prescribed and overprescribed for older people, uh, those are the ones that, of course, have really serious side effects. Those are the ones that can be habit forming. Those are the ones that you can fatally overdose on in, in a worst case scenario. Um, so, it, you know, when you really look at the facts, uh, it, it's an argument that you can make to anybody. And of course, you know, like I said, it's your responsibility to try to open the door for the people in your life. It is not your responsibility to change their minds. And you don't need their permission or their affirmation to have your own relationship with this plant and get the benefits from it. So, yeah, you don't even have to tell Abuelita. Like, you don't have Abuel to tell. Abuelita her. doesn't know. My dad, my mom, everybody knows what my grandmother does, does not. He doesn't know. Even then, you're right. They, they are the ones that could benefit the most. Here in Florida, it's only medicinally legal. And when I go into the dispensary, I do see a lot of yeah, senior people. Yeah, definitely. There. Mm -hmm. There's a lot and more. And they're there asking questions and trying different things. And I love it every time I see it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and we need to get somebody in Century Village where my mom lives. <laughs> you should actually Asia. have you should have one of the dispensaries go out there and do a, a educational outreach. Right. Mm-hmm. You should. Yeah, well, if you reach out to this uh, gentleman, Robert Platshorn, Black Tuna, um, if you can get a crowd of people together, you know, if you can get somebody to host the event, uh, you know, he he loves nothing more than than to speak to groups of seniors. So um, it'd be good to have a Spanish speaker, too, if he. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. yeah we have a. Uh huh. <laughs> but uh, that would be very interesting. It, it would it would definitely help out a lot. A lot of uh, elderly people definitely here in Florida. It's fucking crazy here. Like it's awful. Uh, here. Even just for anxiety. Uh, like, yeah, take a gummy and watch Netflix. It's Florida. Everybody knows how crazy it is. <laughs> yeah. And you know, just our medical marijuana program is kind of a mess. I don't know if you're familiar. We have the vertical integration here. So the only way you can really be a part of this industry is if you're a multi-million air company, a corporation, you just, it's, it's almost impossible for any small businesses to get into it. And you see bigger and it's been happening lately a lot. You see the bigger companies start eating up and buying all the, the smaller dispensaries and stuff. Do you, what do you think about corporate cannabis and how do we, how can we, change that like i feel like we have to get it right because once it's written into the law like it's really tough to go back and change things yeah absolutely that's a that's a huge issue for me and and something we talk a lot about on great moments in weed history because we're looking back at the history but it all reflects on where we're at now and where we want to go in the future um you know the, the the book i wrote i wrote i think five or six years ago and there's a section in it that says uh cannabis should transform capitalism, not the other way around. And when we look at this intersection of cannabis and capitalism, you know, we see everything bad that has happened to small family farmers and that has happened to small business in this country over the last 50 years is happening in cannabis very, very rapidly, because for everything that was terrible about prohibition, it did sort of keep these big institutional investors at bay, it kept big business and corporate and corporations away. Um, And now, of course, all of that money is flooding in. Uh, and, And one thing I try to explain to people is like, you know, ending these arrests, and making sure that everyone has access to this plant is the most important thing. Um, You know, I've been reporting on cannabis for about 20 years and countless stories of people who've had their lives torn apart by uh, a cannabis arrest, Uh, you know, everything from going to prison to having your children taken away to having your home raided in the middle of the night to simply, you know, losing a job. Uh, all of these terrible outcomes. Uh, And when we legalize cannabis, we stop those arrests. And that is by far the most important thing. But we don't want to stop there. We want to make a cannabis industry that creates opportunities for everyone to participate. And in particular, that can undo some of the damage of these racist laws that targeted people of color, that targeted people with less money, that targeted young people, um, and and 
turn it around and create a new kind of industry that works for consumers, that works for uh, working class people, that is a ladder up for communities who have bore the brunt of the war on drugs. Um, but that is not going to be easy. And I just also um, want to make the point to people like, if you see this happening to cannabis and you care a lot about cannabis, understand that's capitalism. And, and, and so look at capitalism as a force that is at, you know, affecting you in every aspect of your life. Um, and just because we legalize cannabis and push it into the mainstream economy does not mean it's going to be necessarily any different than uh, how big business operates, whether it's big pharma or, uh, you know, Pepsi Cola. So when you live in a place and legalization is coming, you need to not only advocate for ending arrests, but for the creation of a cannabis industry that safeguards small business and that creates opportunities for the communities uh, most negatively impacted by the war on drugs. The good news is in some of the states that have most recently legalized, for instance, uh, I grew up in New Jersey. I lived in New York City for a long time those laws are much better than some of the laws that were passed just two or three years ago. They're quite reflective of at least that desire. Uh, but still at the end of the day, uh, you know, as my mom likes to say, and many other people, money talks and bullshit walks. And so we have to understand that this is going to be an ongoing fight. And the best thing that you can do as a consumer is to vote with your dollars to if you have an opportunity to buy cannabis from the kinds of businesses that you want to see flourish make sure you do that be savvy find out who is growing your cannabis where and how um, and look for opportunities to support small business mom and pops people of color you know whatever is particularly important to you or something that's grown organically something that's grown outdoors as opposed to indoors under uh you know very intense lights that have a huge impact on the environment um, we can make these kinds of decisions every time we buy weed and we can also lobby our local uh, elected officials and make sure that they hear from us directly because Big business is always going to have their ear. You know, I, I don't want to get into the details of the laws in Florida. I know you probably know them better than I do. But, you know, those laws were written by lobbyists in order to make money for politically well-connected people. And it's a shame. Uh, but it's not the end of the story. You know, we can continue to push to change these laws. In your opinion, um, how far do you think we are from actually it being federally either legalized or decriminalized? We we know that there's several different bills in the works. You know, yeah. there's the Moore Act, and then there's the the CO whatever Chuck the one Schumer, Schumer and Booker yeah. have, and then the GOP have their own. It seems like everybody's trying to get something done, but nobody's they're not working together to get it passed. So realistically, do you think federally federal legalization or decriminalization is going to happen? anytime soon? 
Uh, it's, you know, everyone who <laughs> is on the record making predictions about that ends up uh, eating their words. So, <laughs> <laughs> Us included. Yeah. yeah, I think I said within the next two, two years. years. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, so I, I think that, you know, it's always important to look forward. Um, but looking at anything as being inevitable is counterproductive. Um, we need to, you know, just keep pushing and keep fighting. And also, you know, when it comes to federal legalization, it's going to be all about the details. Mm-hmm. Um, because if we get a federal legalization law that is written to completely favor uh, big corporate entities, um, we, we may not get what we want out of it. And, um, you know, so I, I think what's most important for people to understand is you can have the biggest impact where you live locally and you, you know, can focus on the details of the law where you live, your elected officials. When it comes to Washington, D.C., you know, the one thing I just do want to say to people is like, I share everyone's disappointment in the lack of progress out of our current administration. Um, I'm not somebody who is a, a big fan of either major political party in this country, but sometimes there's this misconception that it doesn't matter which party you vote for on this weed issue, but every time it comes up for a vote, you know, we see the vast majority of Democrats in support of legalization and the vast majority of Republicans against it. So I just do like to point that out because there's a lot of misinformation around that. Um, But in terms of what's going to happen when, uh, you know, all you all you can do is follow the bills as they move along and and understand we have a very uh, dysfunctional political system on any issue. And so, you know, progress is going to be difficult to come by, but the momentum is certainly uh, in our direction. I would be like, they took our right away uh, to have abortions, but they're going to legalize weed. That would be like kind of weird though, too, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah. But um, need, I mean, either way, like, you know, we'll still be championing for it, uh, you know, all the advocating for it and doing what we can. But you're uh, right. You need to hit the nail on the head. What's important is your local politics, your local politicians. You need to focus. You need to get the, the people locally elected to represent our state. And at the end of the day, they're going to leave it up to the state anyway. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. wherever you live, that's going to be the law of the land for you, regardless of what the, you know. Federally. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, I, I, as I say, you, you have a real, you know, and, and the other thing is you don't have to do this work by yourself, wherever you live, there's going to be uh, groups of people who are organized around this. Um, some groups to check out our normal national organization for the reform of marijuana laws. If you're a younger person, students for sensible drug policy is an excellent organization. Um, and you're going to find groups local to the state where you live in. All too often, the people who are well organized are the business lobbies increasingly. And so while they're going to push for legalization, they're going to push for their version of it. A a great example of this is home grow. Mm -hmm. To me, that is a basic human right. 
Um, I should and you should and everyone should have the right to grow this plant, certainly for personal use. And so when we see a law that's passed that says, okay, this plant is now legal, but you can't grow it yourself. Well, that's really just there to protect the business community mm -hmm. because it forces you to go to the dispensary and pay a really, really high premium. I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to grow your own cannabis, but you know, where I live in California, you can grow six plants. I smoke a lot of weed, uh, but with not much space, with very little money put into it, uh, I can grow all the weed that I need for a year quite easily, enough to share with other people, mm -hmm. enough to trade with other people and say, oh, let me try the strains that you're growing and you can try some of mine. And it's it not only saves you money, it's, it's, it's a wonderful way to be connected to the plant. It also helps you know how this was grown, that there weren't any... Um, you know, chemicals used as fertilizers that you wouldn't want to use, um, you know, and uh, you can grow really excellent cannabis yourself. Uh, the other thing is it's not going to be shipped and packaged and handled by a million people. So, you know, if we understand that the uh, medicinal and the uh, part of the plant that gets you high are, are these very delicate little crystals uh that that you can sometimes see with the naked eye sometimes see with a with a micro uh microscope um well now imagine that getting sort of trimmed on machines and uh going down an assembly line and getting chopped up and put into packages and then you know in some states sitting uh it has to go to a lab it has to go to a storage facility it has to get shipped all over the place it's it's often not climate controlled so at every step in the process, uh, that cannabis is degrading in quality versus mm -hmm. having a beautiful plant in your backyard. You wake up in the morning, if you're me, have a cup of coffee, water the plants, talk to them, sing to them, have a relationship with them. Um, that's all wonderful. And you can end up with some really beautiful, fragrant, sticky, high potency cannabis at, when I say a fraction of the cost of the dispensary, it's really pennies. Uh, on the dollar and it's and it's you know if, if you like most of us have have grown up uh, in your weed life with a weed budget uh, uh, this plant is is so ex unfortunately expensive I'm about to have a weed budget <laughs> I'm about to have one it's getting there <laughs> and we get um, pretty good discounts and I'm still gonna have to yeah so so to sort of decommodify the plant um, and that's another uh, real way to push back against this corporatization, because if everyone is able to grow and everybody, uh, you know, not everyone can or wants to, you know, it's it's legal almost everywhere to brew your own beer, but most people don't do it. Uh, the difference is growing weed is pretty easy under the right circumstances. Unfortunately, you know, not everybody has a backyard. Unfortunately, not everybody um, is a homeowner. You know, I, I, I'm a renter, but I have a small yard, so I'm able to put six plants out. But the more people who grow this plant, 
the more abundance there will be and it will be a lot harder to charge so much for it um, because you may have a friend who grows it and, and is happy to share with you or you can be that friend and and share it with your friends and your loved ones. That sounds so magical. I mean, how awesome is it? Like if you're someone that grows cannabis and you have other friends that do and you guys can Dude, get together. You, listen, try, I have a hey, friend let me try in yours. Canada. I have a weird we have we share the same love of Beastie Boys. So I call her my Beastie Bestie. She's out in Canada. She has like little get togethers with her friends and they all bring their buds their and harvest. they all share. Yes, it's a dream. People, they're living the dream. I know. Us over here, we're fighting to try to get home grow. Um, right now, there's um, a petition going to try to get an amendment added to our ballot, um, and it would allow home grow. It would legalize it, but it would restrict it to nine plants. Um, there's people in the community that don't want any restrictions, of course, you know, because why have any any rules around it that's going to possibly still get somebody arrested or in trouble for something that's supposed to be legal? Um, what are your opinions about the limits they have? And in California, do they have any rules about like access? Like, does it have to be behind a locked gate or anything like that? Some of those rules are, are, are local to your county um, or even the city that you might live in. Uh, it, it's like if it was up to me, if I was the commissioner of weed, it would be legal the way that tomatoes are legal. Um, but that said, I, you know, I think that politics is the art of the possible um so you know nine plants versus zero plants is a huge difference and, mm -hmm. and i think if somebody you know this is my opinion but if somebody is saying uh i'm not going to support nine plants because it's not enough i would be a little bit skeptical of of where they're coming from because for most individual people the ability to grow nine plants is the ability to grow more cannabis than you yourself are going to be uh, consuming over the course of a year, even if that's just nine outdoor plants um, that are going to be harvested once a year, never mind nine indoor plants where you can have a harvest every month or, or, or so. Um, so, you know, that debate is a healthy debate, but I think if you have a real opportunity to pass home grow, and the, and the other thing I would say to those people is great, let's get nine plants uh, authorized for people. And then the day after that, we can start pushing to raise it to 12 or raise it to 24. Um, but it, it is important to understand, you know, the need to, um, Play the politics, the, right? Yeah, yeah. Play the game. when you have to. And, uh, you know, uh, people who, you know, w we had a huge debate in California about the legalization law. And um, I, I ended up voting for it and supporting it the, despite a lot of reservations about it. And some of which certainly have come true. And it's been very hard on you know, um, particularly in Northern California, we have communities of people who are uh, even second and third generation small farmers um, and have been getting pushed out of the economy. Uh, but at the same time, ending these arrests is the most important thing. We, we, we just had an episode uh, on great moments in weed history where we interviewed a woman uh, from Humboldt County in California. I heard it, yeah. 
Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, back in the going back just a few decades, you had uh, these helicopter raids by the federal mm -hmm. and the state government. And these were people sometimes with 50 plants, which of course sounds like a lot if you are, uh, you know, just a lover of weed. But in terms of commercial cultivation, it is a very, very small amount of plants. And yet, uh, the government, the war on drugs is out there flying helicopters to destroy people's tiny farms and, and tear their families apart. And uh, what was amazing in the episode was people locally up there got together. They started monitoring the police. They started their own uh, community radio station and would go on the air and say, hey, there's helicopters flying north towards this uh, part of the county, beware, there's a convoy of uh, police uh, vehicles heading up this road, be on watch and, and providing that kind of mutual uh, support for people. So, you know, when it when it comes to I, the other thing I'll say is anybody who's listening to this, who is involved in the illicit cultivation or distribution of this plant, please be careful please take those risks very very seriously it is up to you to make that decision for yourself but you have to understand the risks you have to take measures to protect yourself um, and and really the first responsibility of any revolutionary is not to get caught so uh, please bear all of that in mind whatever you decide to do even as so much as um, smoking a joint out on the street in a, in a prohibition place, you know, take that seriously because, you know, speaking as somebody who's been arrested for weed and somebody who has interviewed countless people who have been arrested for uh, growing, selling, distributing, smuggling, even just sharing this plant, um, you, you don't want to become a victim of this prohibition. You don't want to feed into their system and um, become another source of revenue for the police, you want to get away with it and, and you, you need to take that seriously. For everyone else, as I said, you know, when you look at these laws being written, that's a great number one question to ask. What about home grow? And if there's a group, if, if you are, uh, you know, go to a dispensary, and they're part of a lobbying group and that lobbying group doesn't support home grow, ask them why not. And, um, you know, push for that as a fundamental right. Where would you say is a good resource to find out um, what lobbyists, certain dispensaries are affiliated with? Where is that? Is, is that public information that's easily accessible? Um, you know, it's it, it'll take some Google sleuthing, but it, it's, you know, one, you can ask them. Um, but, you know, I, I think the best way to do it is to kind of, you know, Google the name of the dispensary and business associations or lobbying groups and see what pops up. Um, there's an excellent website and resource called Marijuana Moment uh, that is, to me, you know, does some of the best journalism about cannabis and they follow this really closely. You know, your, your single one-off smaller dispensaries, uh, are, are not usually as involved in lobbying. They're more like a local liquor store, you know, they, mm -hmm. they're just a business. Um, but when you look at the big chains, 
when you look at multi-state operators that have dispensaries in five or six uh, different states, <laughs> yeah, they're going to be, it's going to be much easier to find out information about them. And, uh, you know, you, you, you got, you, you, you might have to do a little research, but it won't be mm -hmm. that hard to find out. Yeah, they actually, the TrueLeave actually has um, petitions in their dispensaries to support. Yeah, they actually the, support the, nine, the home the grow amendment. Home, home, the nine plant. Yeah, one. they actually do. It'd be great if there was like um, like a website, like, like ethical, you know, like the like they rate each company and their ethical like yeah. rating, like how they their products are made. How you know? I'm not sure. I feel like they do. They get reputation Some too. Once you start talking to people in the biz, they know. Yeah, the word yeah, gets out. We, we've we've talked to people that have told us specific brands and how unethical they are, and you know, you just learn to steer clear, or you see like habits of the ways that they promote themselves too, and you can kind of tell by that as well. Yeah, and I think if you think of how far we've come, uh, food is a great example. Uh, you know, different people have a different relationship to the kind of food that they want to eat and where they, uh, whether they have an interest in how it was grown, if it's a plant or how an animal was raised and the consciousness around that has really come a long way. And, and not everybody is going to have the same concerns as you, um, you know, but it's important that that information is out there. And, and most importantly, the more vocal people are about it, the, uh, the market will respond to that. You know, if there is uh, money to be made by doing it the right way, and that uh, is being expressed to these businesses, then we will see more, uh, more of that represented on dispensary shelves. Well, to switch gears, I want to talk a little bit more about your podcast. Um, how long have you guys been doing it now? And how many episodes do you have? And how did you come up with the idea to start this podcast? Sure, thanks. We're uh, about four years into it. Uh, it is uh, co-hosted and co-produced with my partner on the podcast, Abdullah Saeed. Uh, we actually met uh, basically while working on a show for Vice called Bang Appetit that's about food and weed. Uh, Abdullah was the host of that show and I was a producer of the show, so working behind the scenes. Um, and we had many, many uh, wonderful times just kind of getting uh, getting blazed together and talking and, and waiting for them to get the cameras set up for the next shot. And we're always kind of telling each other weed stories. And so... Uh, that show as, was as awesome too. That show was <laughs> oh, awesome. Thank you, thank you. It was really fun. Um, and so, uh, at the uh, you know, there was a point where I was working at High Times and really felt that they were not a good representation of this community. They had new ownership come in. Um, you know, people could make their own decisions, but it was not something that I wanted to be involved in. We both uh, ended up really not wanting to work with Vice anymore. Uh, and we wanted to do something that we could do ourselves, where we wouldn't have to raise a ton of money, where we wouldn't have to give control over it to some outside party, be simply because they were going to put the resources in. Um, and we both love podcasts. We both love history. 
we started uh we tried a, a few different formats for the podcast and as soon as we started talking about these great moments in weed history it just really felt like it clicked um and it really felt uh, like something that we could add to the conversation around cannabis and make sure uh, that this history is not uh, obscured or suppressed or rewritten um, and that we celebrate the people who, um, you know, fought for this culture. And, and it can be everything from our first episode was Willie Nelson got uh, smoked a joint on the roof of the White House. Um, and we also talk about people like uh, Dennis Perone and Brownie Mary, who were arrested, and, and Dennis Perone was shot by the police simply for giving cannabis away to um, uh, people with AIDS and, and other people who were terminally ill. Um, and we also, you know, tell weed stories about people you might not know how to uh, a weed story, like uh, the writer Maya Angelou. Her whole life was transformed by cannabis. And you know, after we put that episode out, we heard from a lot of people who said, oh, she's my favorite author. And I never knew this about her. And, and that's partly because, you know, these stories about weed, anything positive about the plant has been uh, really suppressed from our understanding. So and um, shadow banned from our understanding. <laughs> yes, just like absolutely. Our, our social media. <laughs> ours, ours too. Um, so we have more than seventy original uh, history stories. If you go anywhere, you get podcasts to great moments in weed history, uh, and then just scroll through the feed and um, please check out an episode that appeals to you based on you know, whatever you might find interesting from the from the title and from the description. I've only just recently got into the podcast and I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it. I think it's fantastic. Um, how do you choose the stories that you're going to cover and like how much how long does it take you to research that that topic before you're ready for an episode? And does it? Yeah. Feel like and how do you focus on capturing so much information? He's a journalist. Is what know, he does. Right? He's a writer. What are you? Is it? Is it the weed? What strain do you smoke, dude? Give me, give me. Well, my favorite strain is whatever you'd like to share with me. <laughs> the but, uh, um, you know, it can really vary. Some of you know, I, 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 I've been reporting on weed for twenty years, so you know whether it's something that I read, a story that somebody told me. Um, something that I might have uh, experienced firsthand. And of course, we both come up with ideas for the show. Um, and then the research process, some of the stories are, you know, kind of might be well documented somewhere else. And, and, and it's a matter of researching it and bringing the facts to light and getting it organized. And, and some of them, all, I, I will say, are, are more obscure and, and require a lot of uh, research and then we sit down when we sit down to record uh, the show if i'm telling abdullah the story when we start often he doesn't even know what the story is going to be about so knew it i was like that was going to be a question i was like does he know sometimes because his reactions are so genuine <laughs> yeah absolutely well he, of course he knows a lot about weed and and some of the stories he he knows uh the basic story going in because he's also been you know writing about weed and making media around weed for you know quite a while 
but it, it by by having him sit down fresh and not even know what the topic is going to be on a specific episode of it you know it does i think create some excitement and his reactions are all um in real time so it's a lot of fun and then you know we put a a lot of work into editing the stories and and really trying to um you know value people's time who are who are going to listen and and value uh, these stories in and of themselves and and you know reflect how important we feel they are uh by by doing our our best to make them both educational and historical but also to you know have some fun and and some laughs along the way and and uh you know sometimes some of the best responses we get from listeners are people who are like hey you know i really don't have too many people to smoke with because of my life circumstances whether i have to be secretive about it or maybe i moved to a new place or i just don't really have uh, a regular group of people to smoke weed with and so listening to the show makes me um feel that vibe and then at the same time i'm gonna hear uh you know these are incredible stories you know mm -hmm. uh we we, we have ten thousand years of weed history to pull from so um you know it's 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 a labor of love you know we we do uh love the people who support us on patreon we do love the uh people who sponsor the podcast but i could definitely say uh, this is a labor of love for the two of us. It's a reflection of our friendship. You know, now we live in two different places, so it's a great opportunity for us to get together uh, and 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 have a good time ourselves. So it's it's uh, four years in. Um, it's 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 been a wonderful experience. We're starting to do live shows. We have a live show coming up uh, September 10th in Portland, Oregon. If anybody listening is Ooh. is around there and. Um, you know, that's been another really fun aspect of this. I, I, I really enjoy uh, getting out, doing the shows live in front of an audience, getting to meet people after. And uh, it's, it's always very good vibes. I would love to go to a live show. I, I, I really enjoy I, I like because sometimes you guys have guests on where people are involved in whatever history moment you're discussing, which are great also. But I really enjoy when you tell the story and Abdul like reacts, I think it's it's really fun I, and entertaining to listen to. I and I don't understand why you tell everybody to pause to go smoke because I'm just smoking so while I'm listening. I'm like, this is at great. this point, at this point, they need to like, know what the protocol is. Yeah, like go pause, keep going, let's go. Yeah, it's protocol. You guys should know by now. Like, what's up? We we just go for it. We're like, if you got it, just blaze it up. But um, I actually. <laughs> I saw Abdullah on, uh, on a bong appetit. And then when we started doing the podcast, you know, like I was like, well, who's out there doing what? I mean, like I kind of always look out like before I do, started doing stand up comedy, I started looking and seeing who's doing it and what's, you know, to kind of like see what the scene is. You guys rolled up. And I was like, oh, I started digging into your podcast and I was like, oh, I recognize this guy from this show. And it was well, we, did, we had Vice like for a moment and I had seen the show and I was like, my God, this is insane. It's like so scientific and it's so, so like, I don't know when, you know, when you think of weed 
you don't think how much goes into it, right? Until you really start diving in and you start seeing how much really goes into it. And I, I saw that show and I was like, wow, this isn't even just like a show about eating food with weed in it. It's like, how do you do Probably it? How does it happen? How do, yeah, how That's does all of it work? I thought that was amazing. And then we started doing the podcast and I found uh, great moments in weed history. And I was like, yo, <laughs> this is phenomenal. And then so much of your journalism and so much of you just, you go, you dive in so deep that it's like, I mean, it's just, it's a good combination. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I very much appreciate that. And, and, and you both have a really great vibe with each other. And I think that's, you know, a big part of what makes a successful podcast is, uh, you know, people want to feel uh, those good vibes. And, um, you know, I really appreciate your show. And I really appreciate um the message that you're putting out about responsible parenting and cannabis and you know i don't need to tell you how uh frustrating it is to live in a society where uh you know people are free to drink alcohol and uh take prescription drugs and do whatever they're gonna do and there that's all fine and they're still all even in legal states all of this stigma around cannabis and parenting when in many, many cases, um, it, it can really enhance people's experience of being a parent, uh, particularly if you're saying, well, I'm going to do this instead of drink. Um, you know, I'm not against alcohol. I enjoy a little alcohol myself, but I don't think anybody can make an argument that you're better off as a parent uh drinking than you are uh, responsibly consuming cannabis um and that's a message that is uh you know not as 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 accepted as it should be you know i did put a little section even in my book about it because i've talked with so many people who said yeah it, it not only is you know better than alcohol it can really help people be more um in tune with themselves and, and and you know i'm not a parent myself but if you're in tune with yourself and you reach some level of comfort with yourself and if you're able to manage your stress and if you're able to have fun because of cannabis well that's going to be reflective in your in your relationship with your children and so i think um, putting that right in the title of your podcast i think representing those millions and millions of parents who feel the same way is, is a really great public service. And I, I appreciate you, you both doing it. Thanks. Thank well, you. I mean, like you said, like people and, and we're lucky to have kind of grown up within the same social circle and have been friends, smoking weed, having kids around the same time. We do our podcast and there's so many moms out there who are like scared to talk to people about their use they don't have people to smoke with. They don't have friends to smoke with. We feel like, my God, we've, this is we're we're so lucky. There's so many people out there who like, they do tune in to kind of have that community because they're not able to have that outside of their home, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And then you're, you're you know, you're getting uh, looked down on by, by somebody with a, with a toddler in one hand, uh, a giant glass of, 
wine uh, liquor or wine and the other and a, and even a cigarette you know mm -hmm. and, and then you know i'm not judging people who who do whatever as long as you're responsible in your parenting but right the hypocrisy is is certainly um beyond obvious to anybody who really understands this plant and and how it affects people and you can listen to great moments in weed history podcast as well uh, go to their web website, greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. On Instagram, they are at G-M-I-W-H podcast. And actually, they have a live show in Portland, Oregon. So all of you guys in Oregon, you have a special treat. If you're they, close to Oregon. Yes, they will be at the Helium Comedy Club Saturday, September 10th at 4.20 p.m., our favorite time. So please go out there, support them, tell them that the pot smoking mom sent you, <laughs> enjoy the show, and we will live vicariously through you. Man, I wish we could make it. I think one day, one day we'll make it. Maybe we could do a, like a, a, a super stoner podcast special, right? And do a live <laughs> show. We want to go to, or uh, Oregon's one of, the, one of the states we really want to hit up next year. So maybe. Yeah, and you guys should really check out the podcast. It is definitely one of my favorite ones to listen yeah, to. It's fantastic. So, hey, thank you guys so much. We adore you, everybody who listens to the show. We appreciate you. And most importantly, we have a special place in our hearts for our patrons. Without you, all of these show upgrades are not possible. Thank you to uh, a special thank you to patrons Yanni. Destiny, Lauren, Jesse, Christy, Denise, Peaches, Natalie, Angelina, Jenny, Catherine, Jay, Chrissy, Guillermo, Diane, and Gabby. Hey, because you too can become a patron for early access to episodes, additional content, video, and full uncut versions of our uh, interviews, Zoom smoke sessions. We have they we go on vacations. We're getting a bud crawl coming up soon, so any event you get discounts on as well. Yeah, keep in mind of the the date. November 12th, 22 for the bud crawl announcements coming soon. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and share our content. Check out potsmokingmoms.com. Check out all our amazing partners and sponsors that we work with. We have them all linked on our website. Thank you, Fluent and Chiba Hut for sponsoring the show. And bye. Bye. See you next time. Take us out of here, Captain J. <gasps> With the theme.